Hey guys, just before we get into it, we would like to acknowledge our podcast partners in Beyond Blue. If you're feeling low, anxious, or need to talk to someone, please contact the people at Beyond Blue. Their phone number is 1300 224 636. You can visit them on the website as well at www.beyondblue.org.au forward slash get support. Enjoy the episode. Thanks, guys. Hello and welcome to the Listics AFL podcast. I'm your host, John Van Norden, and here with me today is my co-host, Sean Lewis. Sean, how are you doing this week, mate? Going very well, John. It's uh, back on the winners list for, the, for a change for Melbourne, so yeah. can't be nothing but excited. And uh, we got the Brizzy Lions this week. Um, fingers crossed we can uh, put up a good fight and maybe get some four points up there at the uh, the, the new Gabatoir, I believe. D's a sneaky chance at finals? No, mate, no, no. Just about regaining some self-respect, I think. To ten wins, <laughs> just right, right, a, right a Richmond style um, when they came back all that one year, had like an eight-game winning streak in the finals. I reckon you can uh, do it. Oh, well, who knows, mate. But yeah, I, I just... Uh, a little bit of self-respect coming back would be lovely, I think. Yeah, that's fair enough. And there's been some good games of the champs played this week as well. Yeah, um, a couple of crackers today. Yeah, um, good to see uh, Vic Country um, still still unbeaten and a couple of players there playing really well for him. Um, I liked... I sort of... I don't know. At the start of well, the... Vic Country versus South Australia and it went down to the last kick of the match. Yeah. Uh, everyone's already seen the results by, by now. If you're listening to this podcast, you care <laughs> about that kind of stuff. Um, so, one of the players who I was, I don't know, a bit shaky on even though he was performing reasonably well. Apologies for my dog shaking himself in the background. Um, was Caleb Sarong. Um, and I think that he's actually outperformed where I thought he would be. Not just because... Um, of his ability he's always had the ability but his form this year has been a bit scratchy um, at NAB League uh, but seeing him do it against the best was good even for a guy of his size I reckon that he sort of um, competed above his height which which I rate yeah look I think with Sarong we're probably um, potentially could get underrated a bit like Jack Higgins um, I think probably in AFL his position it will be I think to start very similar to, to Jack Higgins like that real kind of deepish forward pocket um, but he's he's a really really strong overhead mark, which is you know, um, and then it's the same with um, what's his name Flanders as well in that side. So they're yeah. two two very similar type players um, in terms of being a little bit shorter but strong overhead. I probably thought that Flanders was the the better talent wise. Um, I still think he is. Uh, yeah, I think his ceiling's probably higher, but I think they're closer than I thought they were. And yeah. Sarong, certainly, um, he's done nothing um, nothing wrong in these champs that I've seen that wouldn't wouldn't allow him to be drafted quite highly. I very highly regard his, his style of play, and I think he'd fit in well and, and probably end up as a, a bit like a rotating half-forward flank through the midfield. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, he looks like he's got the body... Like, there's, it's really hard at this year um, to see players that I can see easily transitioning into AFL. Last year it was pretty different, but this yeah. year he's one of those players I think could transition quite easily into AFL. Yeah. The other one um, maybe won't try transition quite as easily, but definitely dominated today um, in the first win, which was the Allies. 
Uh, Vic, Vic Metro, Tom Green, your boy. Yeah, Tim. He's uh, he's very very good. He kicked a few goals, I think, as well. So his hands are awesome. We need we still. I still need to watch that game. So I mean, I'm I'm very excited. Even though Metro got done, um, I, I do like seeing the allies get a win and and Green performing well. And I believe that uh, my my Smokey, um, yeah. Rosas Junior. Yeah, uh, he kicked was a few. The, he was in the best as well. Um, we like like the way he moves. Um, so it'll be yeah, you're right. It'd be exciting to actually get get back and watch all of those games in full. Um, we have but, watched a fair few over the past few days. Yeah, yeah. Um, but still, it's it's always nice when you get to see those games where they're a bit closer and the skills are a bit cleaner. Um, and you get a bit of bit better footage from the grounds as well. So, um, looking forward to that. Yep. Um, but this podcast, we're going to be talking just about, um, I guess, the contract and player movement landscape. Um, and the reason we've, we've probably been wanting to do this podcast for a while, and we've touched on it in a couple of different podcasts, but this is uh, probably an issue that needs to be addressed going into the next um, bargaining agreement. Um, and the only reason we have a bargaining agreement is because it's a, um, what do you call it, a union, yep. the, the players' the union. union. The cartel. Um, which might limit some of the changes that we'll probably be proposing today. Um, but there's stuff that's really important that I think the players hopefully recognise that it's important to make these changes going forward to both um, make the game more interesting um, and also to increase the freedom that both players and clubs have to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with with player contracts being owned by the players as much as that's that's kind of I guess our society is like that um, given it's a sports um, industry and it would be interesting to understand the legalities around this and I think that might be in part the big difference but just it, clubs really don't have full control over their list I mean they make a decision you know four years earlier to sign a guy to a four year deal um, but then after two years they're saying it's not working and they can't find a partner to trade with and or he doesn't agree because he's got to go to lower money or something like that, then, you know, the, the club is... Yeah, they've got to live with their decision, but at the same time, it doesn't allow the that list management team the flexibility to really change it. And as well, that player might be then, you know, basically losing out in the long run. They're losing the chance to extend their career. Yeah. So I think there's positives on both sides. I mean, certainly a big positive for the clubs because it allows them more flexibility and more management than what they have today. And I can see a benefit to players, um, but I can also see that drawback that um, probably the Players Association would have if we kind of opened it up to full freedom, um, which would be that, you know, basically um, players could just be traded anywhere and anywhere for, you know, whatever. Like, Bag of potato chips. Um, washing machine exactly yeah. semi-pro yeah um, and I think, I think that's the the first thing though and, and I mean with a lot of these I think that money um, could be a, a good sweetener um, to sort of open up everything as in I, I think I wrote, wrote an article on it this is going back two years now but um, just double player salaries so instead of going up by 20 or 30% like they did last time just double everyone's salaries but include a lot of changes to the way the player movement landscape works to make it fairer for everybody. Yeah. Um, the AFL can foot the bill for the costs and salaries, especially at the start, uh, while the clubs get used to play, paying that amount. Yep. Um, but I think that would be a fair way to do it. And the first thing that needs to change, as you've mentioned, is just the contract ownership. 
Um, and if you put that up for negotiation, so that's something that at the um, at the contract table, players can either negotiate for a no trade clause um, or something like that in their contract, which means they get a veto right, um, or they can waive that right. Yep. So the club has the right to move them on um, at their existing contract value. So that's yep. something that happens in AFL a bit is that contracts get dissolved um, and new contracts signed with new clubs. And that's because they're individual to the clubs. And that's because they're individual to the clubs. But it would be a better thing if you could say, well, especially if you want to open it up, that at the time that player is signed, I know that you mentioned that, uh, a hypothetical four-year deal um, for a player that wasn't working out. The other thing is that even if it's working out but situations change as in you're looking to rebuild and you want to get in some more draft picks and you've got players that are later in their careers that still want to be playing finals and you can just start moving those players on without having to get approval. You can start planning for the the best future rather than the future like that that player agrees to is in I'll only be traded if I go to Geelong yeah. um, rather than okay then I'm I'm tradable. Uh, because that's in my clause, uh, I'm going to get the same amount of money and the AFL or the club that's trading me might pay for my resettlement um, outside of the... I think that has to be outside. Outside. Yeah. Um, I agree, outside, but there would be an amount to help the people remove. Uh, but it, it would just free up everything so much. And, and what we're saying is the trade-off to that is that the salaries go up by a significant amount, so trade that off. So effectively, it is giving up a right to basically... Uh, stay um yeah well, that, and, and and at the when we're saying it's up for negotiation you know i guess this the default position um is that that the clubs own the contract and then a player has got a request to put in that no no trade clause yeah um and that no trade clause i guess i mean if i if i think through how i would probably manage it i'd probably say that i'd i'd look to all right, yep, you want a no-trade clause, well, then I'm just going to reduce that salary amount a little. So the trade-off is a little bit of cash, but then you've got that veto right. Yeah. Um, whereas if, yeah, if you're willing to, to obviously, um, like when you sign the contract, that money is, is you know, you, you play that contract, so yep. you're locked in. Um, but then you, obviously, what we're saying now is that you, you're not going to have the right to veto. So if... If you're playing for Hawthorne and they say, look, we're going to ship you off to, to Brisbane, um, you know, here's the details. Yeah. Thanks for your time. See you later. Then that's just what happens. So, yeah, that's that's really what we're going through. And it's not, and we're not saying that for uh, like rookies or so not rookies, draftees. We're saying probably once you've come out of your, your four-year draft cycle. Yeah, you're 42. So that's another point we can talk on in a second, but... It would be, um, you would raise the, the minimum level of contracts. Um, so we've said that you raise the contract value, but if you, you raise the minimum salary to 300000 um, which is more than slightly over double what it is at the moment, um, and, and then just let the maximums fall out from that. So maximums would probably go up by 50 to 75% in order to afford that. Mm. Um, I mean, anyone that's at that highest level can't complain about moving um, if you're being paid $300,000 a year to play um, your favourite sport. Yep. So what Sean was just mentioning then about draftees is that we would also recommend to, um, I guess, extend the length of draftee contracts. So all draftees would come in with a two-year contract and first and second round draft picks would come in with a two-year player um, club option. 
Um, the club option being that they can take them at guaranteed money for another two years um, or, or not. Um, they can waive the right to that. And if they waive the right to that additional two years and that player becomes a restricted free agent straight away. Um, and sort of the, the benefit of doing this is that um, when Brisbane drafted all those players years ago and then they all left um, after one or two years, like your Doherty's and stuff like that, you've got them all locked in for four. Um, they can't decide that they don't want to be there and get away with it. Um, but also, if those players really do need to go home for any reason, the club can dictate where they trade that player rather yep. than the player dictating where they'll be happy to be traded to. And I guess it's really coming back, especially with the first two rounds, and, and you've heard me say it before, is that the first round draft pick is the most valuable asset a club gets given every year. For them to potentially, within two years, lose that asset, it's just not its not right for the investment that they're putting in. So typically players don't even start to pay off until, you know, kind of three, four, five years down the track. So by doing a two plus two, and it's all scaled off, you know, whether you're first round, second round. What position sort of you are. So it would be, a, instead of being um, your first pick in the draft, is paid three hundred thousand, and your sixtieth pick in the draft is also paid three hundred thousand. It might be pick one is paid five hundred thousand in their first year, or whatever the minimum amount is for a first rounder, and that would go up by fifty thousand or something each year. Yeah. And I look, and first thing is like I'll say, I know it sounds like a lot of money, and that's probably the extreme end. Like I mean, I know John's a big advocate for fifty percent, but I think that um, much probably like the players' uh, association believes is that. It probably should be tied to the health of the game, so they should get a set percentage. The players should be entitled to a set percentage of the the um, of the game's income. So, um, and I think that's the model that they'll be pushing for again come the CBA. But should they push that way and get that way, I think there's got to be a little bit of give and take here. And some of these ideas are what we'd like to start seeing to to start freeing up the movement now. John said, you know, free agency once you come off your rookie contract, whether that's a two plus two or whether it's just after year two. I'm probably not so much on board with that. I, I, I kind of think that um, you set a minimum of six years, but at six years, um, every you know, if you've been at a club for six years, you then um, only get one contract of restricted free agency. So you could sign a, a one year um, and play and move to get unrestricted, or you could um, potentially you know do the sign and trade options, which is which is around the um, you know, a player re-signs with a club and then they're traded a couple of days later. Um, so so things like that. And I guess a lot of the stuff we're suggesting is, is stuff taken out of American sport, but that's ultimately where AFL's heading. We know that. Yeah, I mean, this sign and trade thing, though, don't you think that that could work as well um, straight out of a rookie contract? So outside of four years, you get restricted free agency, you can shop yourself around, uh, but the club that holds that restricted free agency can just match that offer and keep you because in that case the club owns the contract the player is not negotiating for a no trade clause out of their first contract you can't do that in restricted free agency um, you can do that as part of a regular contract negotiation so if, just... if you're if you've drafted a player you can offer them a no trade clause and if you've traded for a player, you can offer them a no trade clause on the contract extension, but you can't offer it as part of restricted free agency. So that if a player opts to go somewhere else in restricted free agency, the club matches, they actually have to stay. 
and the club club then can choose whether to trade on that player and get something back for them or to make that player play out the deal. Yeah, I understand that, and I, I like, like I do, I, I don't mind, I don't, I don't mind the theory behind. It. I guess more what I'm looking at is going, if you if you go, you know, they get restricted free agency straight off the bat, um, and then you know, most likely restricted. Once you become a restricted free agent, your next is unrestricted. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing really saying like so. Say we take Sloan at pick forty five. Yeah. Okay. Now here is an absolute champion player. He's been picked in the third round now, and he's come on really well. But I've only got him guaranteed for two. And then I've got his restricted free agency rights, so he goes to the market. We match. But he could quite easily just go get a one-year match and then move on. And then I've lost that investment, which is why, I mean, I think even if you look at at um, American sports, they, they do it on minimum time frame, not yeah. not end of first contract. The, the well, idea, you, would, you would do it that way then. You would do it, as you just said, but you would do restricted to six. So even yeah. if you became a free agent after two years because you were from a third round draft pick, you're still a restricted free agent until six years. Yeah. And then any contract after that, the end of that contract is un- unrestricted. unrestricted. Yeah, yeah, okay, I don't mind that. That's not yeah. bad. Um, probably uh, another thing that we've uh, we've spoken about is, um, and I've talked about on the podcast, is that the inconsistencies around when a player retires early from a contract, when they have to, when the club has to include their salary against the salary cap and and not, and we know that if Buddy goes and hangs up the boots, or when Ty Vickery hung up the boots, that Hawth- uh, Sydney and Hawthorne respectively. Um, well, Hawthorne had to include Ty Vickery's contract against their salary cap for the full two or three years. Uh, Kurt Tippett's contract with Sydney was the same, um, even though he was picked up as a national. Yeah, it was like draft. a yeah, it might have been national draft delist. Yeah, oh, not a pre, national pre-season draft. pre-season draft. Yeah, and then program. they had to include that money. And then if if Lan- if Buddy Franklin retires, they have to include that money. But yet Tom Boyd, who went to the Dogs on an equally large contract to Buddy. You know, he retires this year, and the dogs don't have to include anything on it. Yeah. And the AFL puts out that oh, well, it's because they traded rather than restricted free agency. Well, you know, and and that apparently uh, Tippett was you know a guaranteed contract from drafting, and I, I yeah. think in a way the Tippett one was a bit of a middle finger to the Swans because they try to pull a dodgy with yeah. that. Yeah. But ultimately, um, I guess I would. I'd like to see just consistency across the board. I'd like, like, if if you've offered a, someone a four-year deal and they retire two years into that four-year deal, well, you've already committed that money anyway. Now, there's kind of the, the two... The, the, I see only two options as the way you handle it um, if you go down this model is, one, you if you lock in that contract and then you negotiate a payout at the time, then you have to include the full value of the rest of that contract against your salary cap yep. because you've not you've not had the foresight to negotiate. Yep. Um, then the second part I'd like to see is that, that you can have a guaranteed negotiation. So you offer someone a four-year deal, they play two years, and at the very start when you negotiate that deal, you've said to them, well, if you retire in year one, you get paid this much for the following three years. Yeah, like Year that. two, you get paid this much. 
And so you're guaranteeing them their payout because yeah. at the end of the day, these this is these guys, you know, main career earner. Yeah. Um, and I, you're guaranteeing them at the end. I'd like. I, I reckon that's good because I think that um, you shouldn't like maybe for for rookie contracts that doesn't exist because yeah, that's fine. If you have somebody, um, I know that he obviously was traded in the end, but there are players that go one or two years into their rookie contract the club wants to keep him but they're just they quit for other reasons they just don't want to play the sport anymore mm. and I think that's that's almost unfair for the club it's not like they've done anything wrong um, but if you did it the other way and said after that period of time it can be negotiated into or out of contract so well I think ba- once, once you offer a rookie scale contract yeah exactly so as soon as your once contracts are actually negotiated and yeah. not based off a, a yeah exactly a, a sheet thing. offer yeah okay so yeah once it, once it's part of the negotiation then then that's something that you can negotiate for yeah um, I think the best way to do it would be uh, based on minimum fulfilled uh, requirements by the player because if you did it say a four year deal and you said that um, it's based on the fact that if you play 20 games um in the first two years that you automatically unlock um, a final year retirement payout or something like that because the what you what you sort of want to be able to know is that the player can't get screwed over by the club is in yep. they have a minimum contract payout but the club decides they don't want that player anymore so they just stop playing them um, and try to bully that player into retiring almost yeah um, so you don't want them to retire just so they take the lower contract value. And whatever, it's just got to be like if you've played X amount of games, say you paid 20 games in your first two years or 30 games in your first two years, which pretty much means you're a best 22 player, you're guaranteed the full amount for your next two years, yeah. unless you choose to retire. Like if you put your hand up and say, I'm leaving, mm. that's really unfair on the club. Uh, yeah. but- so, so it's just a couple extra layers to a contract, so retirement, re- retirement payout. Um, but like, I don't, you can't axe, I don't think you can axe in a contract. No, exactly. But all it would be is just to protect. Like, as in, if a club decides to delist, um, then they pay the, the get, full contract the, yeah, the value regardless. Exactly. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like we're yeah, what we're looking at more is around those situations where players are, are retiring early or forced into retirement due to injuries or or mental health or whatever it is, um, and just making sure like they're guaranteed. I mean, I know Tom Boyd took a negotiated probably very like in good faith with with the western bulldogs but you know he's essentially given up about three years of a very lucrative contract and uh, i mean i'm sure tom will be fine i'm sure he'll work out what he's going to do and where he's going forward i think he's actually meant to make his debut this weekend at local footy um uh, playing back at norwood in the efl so Good luck to him, um, and I'm sure he'll work it all out and all that. But I mean, essentially, this is for most footballers. They've worked their asses off their their whole lives to get to where they've got. Um, and when you get given a good contract like that, you know you want to make sure that this is going to cushion them into into the next phase of their life. Yeah. Um, so that I'd, I'd like to see. And again, this is that kind of give and take. We're saying the clubs need freedom to be able to shape their list how they they want to and build their salary cap the way they want to. Yep. But we're also saying players need to obviously be compensated for the right they're giving up. Yep. And they also need to be protected from from the I guess the the corruption of human um, integrity. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I like the um, the higher minimum contract as well because it sort of means that the players that are only in the system for two to four years 
really they're not at a disadvantage. I know that that's, that's something that people talk a lot about is that players when they leave the system after three or four years and they've just been on a base contract the entire time. Sure, they've made good money, but they've probably spent a lot of it because they're young men and then they have to work out what they want to do with their lives and it's something they've never thought about before. So well, if, they, if they haven't, if they've been busy fighting for their spot, they haven't felt they can utilise the the AFL's university programs or yeah. anything like that because they've been too busy, I need to do extra fitness, I need to do this, I need to do that. Um, then, you know what, like... They, they're going to need a little bit of a cushion to get them through. Yeah. Um, I know the, the Players Association is very big, obviously, in helping transition. I know they've got a lot of programs in place, but this is kind of a way to really, you know, push forward and protect. So I guess push forward the, the game, allowing a bit more movement and also protect the players. So Yeah. And then, so the, the flip side to the minimum contracts is the maximum contracts. So uh, this is something that I, I'm probably more big on than um than you sean and that's because uh, i believe that the club that drafted a player or holds the rights via trade should have an advantage um at the negotiation table and in the current landscape that's not the case the club that holds the contract is at a disadvantage even though they're at the advantages in their players there all the time so they can put the pressure on them to sign they can talk to them all the time all of that sort of stuff realistically almost anyone can get offered more money to leave um, and more, more years because clubs are willing to take that take that bet. Whereas you do see in other sports around the world um, the introduction of max contracts where you might have a maximum amount of contract value and if you're basing it off what the current salary system is, that maximum contract value might be $1 million. Um, and if you were going off this new system that we were talking about where salaries are doubled, it might be, say, $1.7 million is the maximum contract that any player can be offered. Um, it can The maximum length that you can offer anyone that's not from your team is four years. And if you've drafted that player, you can offer them up to six years. So you've got, uh, you've got the ability to offer them more security, both in terms of dollars and in terms of contract length. Yep. Um, again, I think we see this off air. I really like um, the way it works in the NBA. Um, the NBA model works a lot differently. Um, it's a lot easier because you've only got five players. Um, well, not five. You've got about ten players. Yeah, but, but they only focus on yeah. five. And you've got to build your salary cap, which is roughly, what is it? I think it's ten times the AFL salary cap for ten people yeah. versus 40 people, just to put a, a difference in there. Um, but theirs is also based off, because their salary cap is, uh, is the way... It, because it's quite easy to break it all down they can so I think when you're on the way it works is when you're on a rookie rookie scale contract so when you're in your first four years you can get what they call a rookie supermax which is like up to 25% of the salary cap um, and then when you move into the next kind of phase um, and as long as you trigger uh, all an all American team and da 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 you can then get up to 35% of your um, of the salary cap, which is that supermax, and only your club can offer you. Now, all other clubs can only offer you thirty and twenty respectively. So for the other two contracts, so that five percent difference is what the club gets, and then they can only ever offer you a maximum of four years. And then, whereas your club can offer you five years, so that's your plus one there. So in NBA, it kind of works, kind of all right. So for AFL, thinking about how you might work it, is you'd say 
you know, maximum 10% of salary cap. But then what you're actually doing is you're capping contracts. So um, I think if, if, an, if the AFL went that way, you, then players lose negotiation ability because, um, so for example, current salary cap's 12.5 million and you set the max contract value at 10% of salary, which would be 1.25 million. What then what then in, would happen is the clubs would lose the ability to back end and front end the way they do. Like I know, you know plenty of clubs that have you know, back ended big contracts where they average out at say, uh, like say a million, a year. I'm just using numbers. So yeah, yeah, yeah. back end, they, they average out a million a year, but first two years they've got someone else on 800 and so they're only going to pay you 600 to keep all that under control and then you know the end of your contract you get 1.2 1.3 a year Um, because that's basically the problem they're having in the NBA so then the NBA only lets you front end and back end 5% which I like (laughs) yeah I mean it, it saves the clubs from themselves but in a weird way I kind of like the free market that the AFL has so for me I can see how you can apply it all into AFL but like yeah like I, uh, I guess where I struggle with it is going uh, should someone I don't know let's say Nat Fife say he wants to leave you know should he not be able to earn 1.5 million a year like yeah you can you can he just has to stay at free no but 5% on 1.25 it's getting pretty close. Yeah, but it's not there. like why? Well, one point eight million. I don't know. Like, yeah. pick a number. Like the best player in the AFL, why can't he earn his maximum value? You're, you're in the end, what you're doing is you're capping maximum value of players. So, uh, I guess I while I get what you're trying to do, and that's trying to build that loyalty. Um, I think what we see that happens in the NBA and in American sports anyway is that loyalty is inbuilt or it's not like players are loyal or they're not so there's guys like you know who want to stay at clubs um you know and we were talking about Kemba Walker before you know he wants to stay at Charlotte and then there's guys that'll move like KD or LeBron or that so like loyalty I think is more of an inherent trait in a person rather than driven the guys who'll stay loyal aren't going to be driven by the dollar yeah, I agree that they won't be driven by the dollar. I guess the thing that I don't like at the moment is the way that our... I mean, it's probably more problems with the way our system is set up rather than saying that another system is so much better because in our current restrictive free agent system, people can frame a contract that can't be matched by the club regardless of whether the total value of the club can be matched. As in, if Richmond set up a deal. I know they did the opposite of this. They had a minimum um, amount in their first year, but hypothetically, you can have a heavily front-ended contract that has $2 million in the first year uh, and then tapers off, and the club can't afford to match that contract because they can't fit $2 million in that first year. I don't, I don't think that's... I think you can... I think, I think it's the total value. You only have to match the total value of the contract. You don't have to match the terms. Really? I don't. I'm not, I. I can't imagine that being, because if the like. Okay, so we'll clarify. I'm not sure on that. But yeah. If if that was the case, I would have thought we'd see that abused more, because that to me is a very easy way to get club to screw up other clubs. Yeah. Um. Because if you've got a lot of salary cap, like some Kilda this year, who exactly going to have a you, lot. You got you on offer somebody one like Cogs. You got yep. an offer Cornelia one point seven. 
in his first year and the Giants can't match no matter what. Mm. Even if they've got a million set away for him, they can't match because of that first year. But if, if they if they were, say, to offer him five years and $5 million with it stacked at that way, yep. but then GWS, say, could, for instance, pay that $5 million over the five years as well. Isn't that a restriction of the player, though, because they're not able to earn... So the free market should say that you should be able to do that? Yeah, well... Mm. It's a well. It's all that's all about net present value, kind of. That's what you're looking at there. So, money in your hand earlier, it's a higher net present value of the contract. But um, assuming that there's going to be associated AFL pay rises through the contract, which there's always clauses to allow for lifts in salary cap and all that anyway, um, it he wouldn't be negatively affected if that's the way. It's the guaranteed money. I, if the AFL has set it up the way you're talking about. I'm shocked that I, we haven't seen more abuse of that loophole or seen any abuse of that loophole. Yeah. But I think it's something we can clarify and put up on Twitter. But that, that to me, would be... If I if, if I really wanted a player and I was able to get him on board, yeah, so that's I mean, how I would do it. If anyone if anyone listening to the podcast knows, um, feel free to reach out to me by private message on Twitter um, and, and we can just we can clarify on the podcast. Um, otherwise, just put it to us in a message. Yep. But that is a that's always the way that I've assumed uh, that it's done because the the system is built in a way to uh, I guess support player movement. It's not to help the clubs um, that currently hold the player, which is where I, I sort of want to see um, some assistance given to the club that drafted that player, some benefit. Like I would have liked to see Gold Coast be able to offer Tom Lynch more than anyone, even though they probably could theoretically offered them more than anyone anyway because they have more space yeah. just being able to actually have that on paper and, so, I, and I like I also like having um, max contracts in sport because they make so much money anyway no one needs that much more money just because they can they can make more money in marketing if they want to do that but it also means that you sort of have some understanding of who's making that money like in the NBA I know that there's a lot of clarity around who's earning what money but in Australia, if you only knew that someone was on a max contract because you sort of, that information would get out when a player like Tom Boyd took a max deal, that would be a shock to everybody if somebody that is inexperienced took a max deal because you can only have a certain amount per club. And You can't have a max deal in the States until two years anyway. Yeah, yes, yeah, true. So, yeah, I mean, look, like it's, a, it's a funny one. That's, that's yeah, I, I would have thought they only have to match contract value and length. Like that would be because at the end of the day they're guaranteed that money over this period of time. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really hard one though because that's not how that's, that's not how clubs and players negotiate. I mean, we we know that 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 when players go into negotiate, they can negotiate for a front heavily front ended deal or a heavily back ended deal. Well, I think it all it all depends on the salary cap position. So every yeah. everything in the end, it all comes back to the clubs because if a club is not in a physical position where they can pay a million dollars in that first year, but in two years time they can. Then, like they they like you can structure that like even even Tom Boyd's contract for whatever that was rumored to be worth. His second year, he could only be paid a maximum of like two hundred grand or two hundred fifty grand or something. Yeah. So the rest of his deal had to be back ended to include all the extra money along the way. So and, and Buddy's is rumored to be very back ended and and all that. So I mean, there's. I think we're, what I'm like, what we're looking for is the sweet spot between clubs controlling their own destiny and controlling the chips in their hand, so that when they go to the draft table or the trade table, 
they have the maximum flexibility to construct a list um, to give them the best opportunity of whatever they're trying to achieve or rebuild or whatever that is. Yep. Um, coupled with the players' rights to earn the money they're being offered to make sure they're maximising their value, maximising the, the amount of money they can earn for the rest of their life as well. You know, that's that's really where we're kind of going at it. So um, I don't think there's... Um, I don't think there's a, I guess, um, a perfect system, but what we've got to look for is that sweet spot in between it all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. I think moving away from contracts now, um, one thing we have talked about before is, is trading cap space, yep. which I'm a big, big fan of. Uh, I think clubs you know, could potentially trade up to 5% of their cap space. I'd love to see that. Um, and that would that would kind of allow. I, I think that would be a way people would be able to, you know, offer someone more up front and say, well, we want to keep you. We're going to go trade pick eighteen for five percent of XX of whoever's cap space. Yeah. Whoever's got it offered up at this time, um, and that you know that's going to be the extra money that keeps you. Uh, that that would be to me a, a, a much. It would give more flexibility because I mean, in the NBA, is roughly it? like what yeah. is it? I think they worked out twenty million dollars is equating to a non-lottery first-round pick. Yeah. So, they, like, there was a situation where some club traded twenty million to someone for like a pick twenty-four. Yep. Great yeah. trade. Yeah, exactly, and, and that would help clubs like St Kilda's and North Melbourne's who have cap space and aren't using it. Um, they can just go sell that space so they're effectively buying draft picks and the clubs that need to retain a player like your GWS's of the world um, who are trying to pay more to retain their stars that they mm. drafted can uh, can afford to do that and often they're the ones with the good picks <laughs> they are um, speaking of GWS and one of the things that I would like to do I think that it would be too hard right now to remove all of the academies because I think that at the moment having a compromised first round um, of the draft isn't good enough Um Compromise mainly in the way that, like half of the players, not half of the players, but two or three of the players every year aren't available to everyone. They're only available to the club whose academies raise them. So, Tom Green is um, the clear one this year at GWS, um, and I'm fine with Father Sons. That's sort of a different thing, just because it's got to be a legacy in the AFL. But don't offer discounts. Don't offer discounts. Is in match at the full price. That's yep. the easiest way to do it because if you. If you really like, you just got lucky that they were born in a certain area. You, as I say, that oh, they've invested all this time and effort. But any club would invest that time and effort if they knew that they were going to get a discount on the player. Exactly. If you just instead you got lucky, they fell in your region like Tom Green, but you still have to pay the full amount, not the twenty percent discount, which yeah. is you retain what you effectively get is because you've developed him, you retain your rights to him. Yeah. But you don't get a discount for you don't get a discount for time put in because. And I know that the argument against it is that then what's the incentive? Well, the incentive is you get guys like Heaney, Mills, um, Green, Hopper, like all these kids that have been drafted in academies, Hipwood. Well, there's there's no way you know, that like, even with GWS's current position, the fact that they own Essendon's pick, um, even if they own Essendon's pick, they still wouldn't be able to afford Green in this draft. He'll go top five. Yeah. So... You, you get access to a player that you wouldn't have got access to otherwise, but you shouldn't get a discount. I agree, yeah. No, I, I mean, 
I'm very big on making the fir- the the draft as uncompromised as possible. So we've spoken before about obviously lottery. We've spoken that that's obviously to reduce the impacts of tanking. Um, and I think we've seen this year with the NBA switch to a much more balanced lottery system where I think it was... Um, the bottom three all have the same yeah, chance. Yeah, bottom three or four? Four. I thought it was three. But it, it, yeah. either way, it's a, it's a pretty easy but, to understand but then, system. you know, New Orleans who, who, who had, you know, what, a 6% chance of getting it, they got it. Yeah. You got the first round pick. So That's number one pick. No, yeah. sorry, your number one pick. So that, and that, I really like, I like that sort of system because it meant that New Orleans, who were uh, probably about eighth worst, maybe sixth or eighth worst in the NBA. Yeah, but it's not that much better than the bottom teams. <laughs> yeah, they weren't. Um, and they they still had a chance of getting the number one pick, and they weren't tanking. They were just genuinely poor. Um, yeah. And it kind of showed the teams who might have tanked via trade um, might have shown them that it wasn't worth it. So yeah. And it, it disincentivizes losing. It does. It definitely does. And one of the other good things is that it also adds two elements um, to pick trading that are interesting, which is trading picks before the lottery, as in someone with a relatively high percentage of getting the pick one or mm. a, a top five pick, which is if you've got a, if you finish bottom three, you have a relatively high chance of getting a top five pick. Do you want to use that pick or do you want to trade it now to somebody else who wants the chance to get that pick? Yeah. Um, and you take a player or anything else versus waiting and you could do what Nola did, which is wait, they get pick one. All of a sudden, their pick is worth seven times as much as it was worth uh, Mm. five minutes before the lottery. Um, And now they've got an asset that they can either decide to use and and take to the draft or trade uh, for a lot. So it it adds a lot of intrigue um, to the way that period would work. And then I guess now tying into... Now we're over on talking about picks. We've spoken, you know, trading cap space and you can get picks out of cap space um, and, you know, a lottery system. With a lottery system, you'd be able to, um, I guess, protect picks, which is what we, like, I mean, anyone who watches American sports, you'll see protected picks everywhere. Um, It's a really, really good system because obviously tr- teams, and a great example of this is Carlton. Yes. Um, teams don't uh, make trades to become bad in general. Like no, like there is, you know, any team that's acting in that in that um, in that way would be called out, and it would be pretty quickly sorted if that was what they were doing. Um, but when they trade for something valuable, and they go, okay, well, I'm going to give up next year's first round pick. But if they have a you know something shit happen where you know they lose two players in the first ten games yep. and then their season goes to shit and then they end up with a pick I don't know two uh, one, two, two three, three. Yep. four whatever it is um, you know they've effectively due to circumstance uh, unfortunately they they've performed poorly but then the other team last year who traded something thinking it might be say a pick ten has now got to pick four, which is great luck for them. But with protection, it means that that team, you top five protected, it means that, oh, it falls to pick four. Well, that means we keep our pick and you then get next year's pick, which might be only number one protected. Yeah. Um, and then if you don't get that one, you get our following year's first round pick and it's done. Yeah. Um, so like they, they basically have like a time lapse on the trade 
and you know the way you negotiate is obviously that each year the protection should be peeled back yeah um and so an example with Carlton would be that Carlton last year when they did the pick swap with Adelaide, they certainly, you know, let's say for argument's sake, they finish where they are at the moment, which is bottom. Um, that's pick one. So Carlton, when they made that trade, if you said to Carlton, you've got to give up next year's number one pick to obtain Liam Stocker right now um, yeah, for, for, Le- for sorry, you've got to give up next year's pick for whatever pick 13 or something is at the moment or pick yeah. 15. And... and um, Liam Stocker that's what you're giving up um, I don't think Carlton would have made that trade no if they could have just said um, as in they believed they were going to move up but um, in order to make the trade fair we'll give you our first round pick with a top three protection mm. so it's four and above um, which they would have felt like is a lot fairer and probably balances a lot better yeah. um, then it would have been fairer for everybody so it it and then, does, and then if that performance doesn't kick in until a year later, yeah, then so then basically what would happen is the twenty twenty first round pick would then be unprotected, and that's when the pick swap would happen. Yeah, so it would mean if that happened last year, they traded a top three protected and they finished on bottom, they could add Rao to their midfield, yep, um, and perform better probably if they had Rao Walsh Cripps um, yep. another year of experience into everybody. Um, you would expect them to start moving up. And if they didn't, then Adelaide still get that score early pick. Uh, if not, then they get the pick four, five, six, whatever it was supposed to be. Yep. So I guess that's a, that's a real kind it, of... It also adds sorry. It also adds value to picks because you can trade a protected pick, but it's worth so much more when you trade an unprotected pick. As yes. in, trading Carlton's unprotected pick increases the value of it because you were guaranteed that you're going to get their pick next year rather than potentially waiting two to three years to get an earlier pick, um, which is always the risk if you traded for a protection. And the reason that you would need to introduce this with a lottery, you couldn't do it without a lottery, is because the club could affect the position they finish um, or the pick position um, by tanking. So... If it Carlton saw themselves as third or fourth, third or fourth bottom with a with two rounds to go, and they knew that if they lost both games, they could finish bottom three and keep that pick, then they could do that, and that wouldn't be fair um, in yeah. in any margin. But if they only had a fifty percent chance of getting a top three pick um, yeah. or something of that nature, then it's a lot harder to um, a lot harder to like game. It. Yeah, and I think that's that's a real big thing, like the. All these things we're suggesting are to, to aid in giving value. So we take the example of, of this, this trade, and if it ends up being pick one, the value to Adelaide's insane. So say for argument's sake, Brody Grundy holds off re-signing at Collingwood until the end of the year. All right, South Australian boy, Adelaide probably sitting there going, do you want to come home? Yeah. Um, Adelaide with pick 13 or pick 15 or whatever the hell it is at the moment, um, don't have the capital to engage in a trade with Collingwood to get Brody Grundy. To this year's first round pick being a mid-teens and next year's first round pick with them with Brody Grundy, which is probably going to be again a mid-teens pick. If I was Collingwood, I'd never be making that deal. Yep. Um, so what they've now got from this pick swap is is pick one. All of a sudden, just on pick one alone. Not fairer. Um, they're in the negotiations. They, they, yeah. Collingwood's let them in the door. 
sit at the table. Let's have a discussion. Yeah, they, they said, pick one's coming to us. You guys are getting bread and grinding. What else are we getting? Yeah. And it's a negotiate. Like, that's what would the Adelaide say. Well, pick one's worth more than Grundy, but we want Grundy. Um, and it starts the negotiation in a positive spot. Um, I mean, it, it literally just means that from the start, they've got the value to be able to trade for him. Because mm. there's, I mean, as we saw with the danger trade and, and a few years ago, like, uh, Adelaide rack, uh, behaved in such good faith through that. They, um, Geelong didn't want to upset their player payments model by all accounts. So the deal they offered danger was something that Adelaide could match. So rather than going through an RFA, they obviously decided to trade for the player and they gave up, you know, good draft picks and everything to get him. But that was a real good faith thing. Um, and unfortunately, I think those days are probably gone. Um, yeah. But the the point is, is like you're not going to be able to get a danger for what Geelong paid. Ge- Geelong at that time did not have the currency to get Dangerfield. They yeah. did not have enough asset in their hand to get Dangerfield without Adelaide acting in good faith. Yeah, and just on that as well, um, I as part of this, you would have to open up um, trading at least one more year into the future with draft picks. Um, yeah, three years. I think three years would be okay. Three years is fair. Oh, sorry, this year and two years. This, this year and two years into the future. Um, it's... It's good. Like I, like I know that at the at the moment the AFL are trying to stop clubs from hurting themselves, but it, it does. It is good um, when you see uh, a player traded for three first round draft picks um, because a club really, really wants that player and they're willing to offer more than anybody else. And in this free market where the club can sell to the highest bidder rather than just to the club, like Dylan Shield last year is a perfect example. Once he decided that he was going to Essendon. GWS really had no other negotiating partner, whereas in the free market, um, you can trade to whoever you want because he doesn't have a no-trade clause. Um, you can trade him to anyone, so you can go get three first-round draft picks from Carlton who yep. are willing to give you three. They're all going to give you all three. You're going to get an early pick this year and two early picks in the future, um, and teams can burn themselves because of that, but it adds a lot of flavour to the way that these things play out. It does, absolutely. Um, and then probably um, the last kind of thing I, we w- would add to this uh, spicy mix that we've got going is of player movement is um, being able to trade players in, on draft night. So that would be tied in with the ownership of the contracts. So player contracts that don't have a... A veto in them would kind of just be able to be on the table at draft night. So, say there was a you know a player you really wanted, um, you were able to package that up for a pick and, and offload it. Um, you know, if you need to do a salary cap dump, um, you could easily do that during the night. You know that sort of stuff. It just it just adds more flexibility, a bit more flavour again to. Well, the- it it opens it up a lot because I mean as. As we know, um, when it's draft night and you're trading, you can only swap picks. So when people are swapping back and forth in the second and third rounds, they're swapping like two third round picks for a second round pick and then two fourth round picks for a third round pick rather than going, uh, I really want that third round pick and I'm willing to give you Riley Knight. You know, Riley Knight's a player that's going to be in your best 22 straight away, um, but I sort of want this guy for my development pipeline. Um, It gives you the ability to move 
um, assets that, because pretty much anyone in the third round you're not going to get immediate best 22 players they're, they're generally taken in the first two rounds so you're looking for development prospects and you don't have anything other than de- development prospects to trade so there's no incentive for a club to give up those picks yeah unless they you, you're offering them too many picks in which case that's fine I mean I like that but and, and clubs really at the moment just roll the dice they trade you know I'll give you a second round pick for your future second round and we're, and I'm predicting you're going to be shit next year yeah and that, that's really all that's happening at the moment and that and that's to me it's just kind of like yeah like yeah exactly rather than like trading like GWS traded for two picks this year to draft Dean Hill um, and he hasn't played a game yet but rather than them going you know I'll trade you um, Jeremy Finlayson who oh. who wasn't in there oh. who was outside of their oh. best who was outside of their best 22 last year but you know I'll trade you Jeremy Finlayson for your pick because I want that player um and you guys can get a guy who should be in your best 22 they might go yeah sure why not uh, I'll take some more best 22 players what you'd end up having is um you'd have a lot more journeymen probably um guys that are best 22 players that end up playing in a couple of different clubs because they never negotiate for a, um, what do you call it, no-trade clause because they're never anywhere for long enough. Um, but they can be swapped at will because they're good enough to be best 22 players. And that's also awesome to watch in the NBA when you have a journeyman who's been at five or six clubs rather than a journeyman in the AFL has been at maybe three. Or even, or even like, the I guess, the veterans. Like, yeah. You know, like Vince Carter did his, his, uh, his retirement tour for about four years. Yeah, um, and that like that sort of thing in the NBA that was great to watch, and you know just think like you could get you know Jay Ruffhead goes to the Suns next year, and then you know maybe then oh West Coast has lost um, has lost Kennedy, and they need one more year just before Allen and um, Brand to come on, so Ruffy goes across there, and like you get to see you know maybe a few of those real champions just kind of pick an extra few years out of their career. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the increased uh, minimum contract as well would allow them to do that because, sure, a lot of these players get accustomed to a a level of living, especially, like, I think of someone like Boomer Harvey, um, who was an absolute jet, but he would have been on a a bit of money. Um, Same with BJ Goddard, would have been on a bit of money going into his final year and didn't get another deal. Whereas if you can offer them a minimum contract at say three hundred thousand and just say, listen, you're a veteran now, you've got a minimum, um, then they'll probably accept it. And you should be signing these players on. Like you should be signing guys that are clearly best twenty two, veteran or otherwise, regardless. And then if you start losing a couple of games and it's obvious you're not going to play finals, another club might say, give us Boomer Harvey on a minimum deal. Uh, and we'll bring him into a final side, which he would have yeah. loved for his last couple of years because. We think he would anyway. Well, I reckon he would. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, if I was in charge of any club, I would have been offering him a two to three year deal to stay in the game. He was a gun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that probably finishes it, but yeah. start, well, we might just summarise to make it a bit easy. So, contract ownership sits with the clubs. Um, rookies excluded for, let's say, argument's sake, four years. Um, so, they kind of have the veto rights for the first four years. Um, we've, we're proposing that. Um, You've got guaranteed, uh, I guess, contract for fullness is what we're calling it. So um, when you negotiate, you either negotiate a uh, retirement payout 
or you or you risk having to hold that entire money against your salary cap should they retire early um, for legitimate reasons. Um, proposing that draftee contracts move to, in the first two rounds, to a two plus two system. So two years initial with a, a, a two year play, uh, club option. Um, and then outside of the first two rounds, it then moves to a, a two year deal where they then move into restricted free agency at the end of their deal up to six years. Um, and the same with the two plus two, they obviously hit f- uh, free agency at the end of that contract as a restricted free agent for two years. Um, on top of that, you scale the rookie contract. So um, a guy picked in the fourth round isn't on the same money that a guy picked in the in the first five picks is on. Um, so obviously, you know, first round draft picks are you know um, you know guaranteed for argument's sake, say five hundred thousand. Then it scales down from yep. that, whatever that works. Um, Propose that we increase the salary cap to ask players to be able to give up these rights to allow us some more movement. Um, John suggested 50%. I'm not really sure. I suggested what... 100% more. 100% more. Double. Double. So, yeah, sorry. John suggesting 100%. I'm not really sure what the additional should be. Um, in terms of uh, draft, bring in a lottery, um, allow swapping of protected picks um, with that allowing trading of picks uh, two years into the future. Um, also, remove the academy discount. Yep. Um, allow clubs to trade cap space and um, players that don't have veto rights or no trade clauses um, can be traded at draft night on the table. So I think what we've basically suggested is is overhauling the entire system Yep. <laughs> um, for a quick tune-up. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think if the AFL was fully committed to getting some real player movement, um, a combination of these points would definitely get it going and all of these points would have us with a very wide open market allowing us to move. Probably the only one I missed there I've just re- seen is the one that I'm, I'm not really a fan of is the max contracts that John suggested as well. But Yeah, I love them. I mean, yeah. It, it, I mean, there's no... There's, with all this stuff, there's no such thing as a bad idea. We just... From a list management perspective, which is how we started all this, we just want player movement. We just want clubs to give have the flexibility to create the team list that they want. Yeah. And be able to do it. There's no reason why a club like St Kilda, who had a poor year last year, shouldn't be able to just grab the deck of cards, figure out, all right, I'm keeping those 12, I'm doing this, I'm putting these out there, da-da-da-da put it all on the table and reshape their list to get them into a, a, back to where they thought they were. Yep. Um, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to do that. But unfortunately, the way the system is, is they're quite ham, hamstrung by what they can and can't do. So I can't trade him. I can't move him off my books. I can't do that. But I can, you know, oh, I can get some... So you become looking for value. So like Dean Kent for a third rounder. Unfortunately for them, Dean Kent's showing what he did at Melbourne, which is terrific form for a patch and then gets injured um and you know that's that's the sort of thing they end up doing so they're just trading those journeymen in um yes they got hanabry hanabry's been injured seems to have come back in pretty good shape now he's playing but like that trade will you know might not pay off you don't know so um i guess what we're saying is, is the ability to just kind of be able to reshuffle everything in a in a pre in a postseason 
is what we really want and all these kind of suggestions would aid in allowing that. Definitely would. Um, thanks again, guys, for listening. Um, if you've got any ideas that we hadn't thought of, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and, yeah, I hope you guys have a great week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. If you constantly worry that the worst is going to happen, you're not alone. One in four Australians will experience anxiety. No one anxiety is talking. Visit Beyond Blue to start a life beyond anxiety.